Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Real Magic. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm happy to have you here to talk about another one of our favorite witchy movies and television shows. And today we're actually talking about a movie and a television show and another television show. That's right, we are talking about The Worst Witch, which is also a book series and just a beloved property, especially over across the pond, as they say, in the UK. To do this, I had to have, of course, somebody from over there and somebody who loves this show and this book series and these movies so much. Our guest today is Mara Starling. Mara, according to her bio, is born in New Wales, uh, North Wales, raised in the Isle of Anglesey and is a native Welsh speaker. She's a transgender woman who's been practicing witchcraft from a very young age, and her witchcraft videos on TikTok have more than a million views. Mara is a celebrant in Tararido. She runs moots, gathering, and open rituals, and she was featured in the BBC Wales documentary series, Young, Welsh, and Pretty Religious. That's her bio from over on Llewellyn.com, where you can buy her book, Welsh Witchcraft, which is out this week, and it sounds amazing. I was so excited to talk to Mara about this series, about whales, and about her book. So I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation about The Worst Witch with Mara Starling. Welcome, Mara Starling, to Real Magic. You've got your, I, it was perfect in our audio media, but you've got your Worst Witch book with you right now. I'm so excited to have you on with us. Oh gosh, thank you so much for inviting me on. And I'm excited to talk about The Worst Witch. I mean, I could talk about it for hours, honestly. <laughs> Maybe we'll have like a really, really long episode. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. One of the things I love to ask people when they first kind of come on is, and this may even lead us into our show today. I don't know. I love to ask, like, what was the piece of pop culture for you as a kid that kind of made you think, like, oh, maybe I'm going to go outside and bake a potion or wave a wand and see what happens? Because that's something that's so transformative for so many of us as little witchy kids. Like, oh, I, I, I want to believe in that. I want to believe in magic because of the movies and TV. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think... I, I, and I'm not joking when I say, I think it was the worst witch that did that for me, yeah. but it was the original um, 1994, was it the series that came out first? Um, 
or was it 1988? There, there's, it was 1988. Yeah, there's so many um, of them. You know, um, it was the series that came out on ITV here in the UK, and it was it was iconic back then. Everybody knew Mildred Hubble. Uh, Georgina Sherrington, who played Mildred Hubble, she's never done anything else since, but everyone mm. recognizes her if you show her to anyone. And I remember um, running home from school to watch The Worst Witch at about like 3.30 in the afternoon <laughs> and all the like little pig Latin that they did because there's like little spells where they're like hawkus, caucus, transfrogamorphous. <laughs> and I used to sit in my little garden at home and mix like little potions like everyone does, the, the like sticks and stones in a little... Oh, yeah little pot or something in the garden or mixing like <clears throat> shampoos and things from the the bathroom and I would I would emulate the spells from the worst witch and I remember I had like a VHS tape if people remember those <laughs> I, I, I vaguely remember those <laughs> I had a, a VHS tape of the first I think three episodes of the series and I used to watch it on repeat. I think I still have the VHS somewhere. But um, I think that was probably one of my first introductions. And it was my first time of seeing something on screen and being like, I want to be that. That's what I want to be. I want to be a witch. <laughs> I want to go to that school. Mm-hmm. And so my first introduction to it is one of another movie that was like I loved so much as a kid was the, I think, 1986 or 89 movie with um, Feruza Balk. <laughs> who was just you know she is the icon like uh, she's been in all the witchy movies you know so I remember watching that and it would always come on cable or somewhere like I never saw I don't think I ever have seen the first five minutes because it would always I always tune into it after it had started and but like for Rusa Balk you know I didn't realize until years later I'm like wait Mildred Hubble was in the craft I guess. <laughs> yes <laughs> oh my gosh neither did I that- I remember the first time I heard about, because I didn't watch that one as a kid, I, I heard about that one when I was a teenager, I think. I saw it on YouTube and I remember being like, I felt like I was on a trip or something when I watched it. It's such a weird <laughs> it's, movie. <laughs> it's chaotic, but it's, it's so fun. <laughs> the, the the Tim Curry uh, Halloween song mm-hmm. is one of like the strangest things I'd ever seen it's so weird it's so great and one of the many reasons Tim Curry just like defined my younger years um he just comes in and sings like the weirdest song and then goes out like I wonder he he probably only worked like four days on that movie oh my gosh I think one of my favorite um little known facts and this is me like showcasing just how much of a nerd I am for the worst witch now but I think one of my favorite facts from the the 80s movie was uh, Jill Murphy herself the author of the worst witch she said that um she she did an interview a few years back um where she talked about how nobody's ever gotten it right nobody's ever like fully gotten her world right according to her and she said that the 80s movie was like the worst and she didn't <laughs> oh, think no. it was anywhere near it and she said that she went and visited the set and talked to the girls who were playing the witches and they were apparently crying over the fact that their hats looked so weird and it, they do like if you they're look such at such strange <laughs> hats they're like not quite witch hats they're not quite anything like they do comb. have an aesthetic in that movie yeah definitely <laughs> oh yeah i just remember what that would always be on around halloween mm-hmm. and yeah this oh that song you know that where they'll rhyme halloween with has anyone seen my tambourine 
It's just like <laughs> you can just see where the lyricist just gave up. Like, whatever. April 1st can be fun. New Year's Eve is a ball. But on Halloween, your flesh begins to grow. Oh, I'm losing control. Iconic. <laughs> so let's talk about like the history of the worst witch, like as a property, because it's, you know, it's popular, like people know it over here in the colonies, um, but not as it's not as big here as it is in the UK. And so it started as a book series and the it started the first book was like 1980 or so. Oh gosh. That's what, that's what Wikipedia told me when I was doing my research. But there's, she's, <laughs> there's, there's about there's quite a few books, but she's written them over several years. Um yeah, Jill Murphy. I think she she said that the original book she wrote as a child. Um mm-hmm. I remember reading like a little interview with her where she said that she was inspired by um so she went to a Catholic school. And mm-hmm. you can see that in the books or in the, the series, any of them you watch, there's a real emphasis on this like Catholic school aesthetic. There's, you know, the big choir room with the big organ and the teachers are all meant to be um, representations of the nuns that she went to school with and oh um, that she was taught by even. And she said that it was one of the days where she went home from school and she was drenched um, after rain and she was with two of her friends. So there was three of them plodding along through the rain. And when she knocked on her mum's door, her mother opened the door and said, mm. oh, my gosh, look at you three. You look like the three witches from Macbeth. <laughs> and that apparently inspired her when she was about 13 years old. She was like, oh, imagine a school for witches and um, just like our school, but it's all witchcraft focused. And if I remember right, I think the first book did get released in 1974 originally, but then it kept getting republished through Penguin and such. And now there's like a bunch of them. And I think the last one came out in about 2018 or 19. It was very recent, just, yeah. before, <clears throat> just before Jill Murphy died, unfortunately. But oh, yeah, I saw that have she a passed, lot to... passed away. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, I'll, I'll give a hearty fuck cancer. Uh, <laughs> because yeah uh but so yeah it's been it's been quite you know important in for children's literal literature for over 40 years almost almost 50 and so then it so it got adapted into like the first this very weird movie and then all these tv shows which were just it sounds like they were just part of your growing up and, and now you grew up you, you grew up in the UK? I just wanted, just wanted to check. Yes, <laughs> I grew up in the UK. So it was it was basically standard viewing for us, mm-hmm. especially because I grew up in that weird liminal period in the like late 90s, early 2000s, where nobody knows where to place us, those of us who like grew up in that era. Because I remember a few weeks back, I was talking about The Worst Witch, specifically with mm-hmm. um, a couple of friends of mine. And one of my friends is a little older than me. And she turned around and she said, you're not old enough. You shouldn't be able to remember The Worst Witch. And I'm like, but I do. I do. I remember it very vividly. It came out, you know, when I was quite young, but they repeated it on CITV, which was the children's ITV network so much that it was such a huge part of my childhood. And I think it was for everyone. 
And I think one of the things that shocked me was um, when I went to university, I remember um, putting it on one day in my dorm room and one of my um, flatmates came and knocked on my door and she was like, oh my God, you're watching The Worst Witch. I used to love that. And that shocked me because she was from the Netherlands. She was Dutch. So, oh, really? she was, <laughs> so she grew up with it as well. And she said they used to dub it, apparently. They used to dub it into German and Dutch. And it used to be really big over there as well. So it's almost like we all grew up with it. And nobody really knew the true history of it. Because I remember a lot of people used to say to me, oh, yeah, I loved it. But wasn't it just a copy of Harry Potter? And it's like, no, it came first, actually. It came first. <laughs> So yeah, it's, a, it's one of those things that's like, I don't know why, but I've just stuck with it all my life. I still have all my books. <laughs> I still have all the books that she's ever done. I bought some of the latest ones recently and I rewatch the old series so much, but then I also watch the new series yeah. quite religiously as well. <laughs> the new series with Leah, you know, I, I always call her Leanna Morma because <laughs> I just know her from, she's one of my favorite later season Game of Thrones actresses, but it's, such a fun little series and um we've got four seasons is, is it done is there going to be a fifth season or are oh. completed do you have any, have any idea we never <laughs> from know what i heard um last we heard from any news about that was that it was planned to have a fifth series but because of the COVID 19 oh, yeah. pandemic it was just like mm, we'll, we'll see we'll see and it, we kept pandemic but it's not coming back <laughs> oh that, that's 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 a shame <laughs> because it is such a cute little series and like my daughter my daughter has discovered the new series on Netflix is one of her go-tos on Netflix and I'm like can I watch it with you and she's like no I want to watch Barbie today I'm like oh fine but can we watch Word Twist later <laughs> oh I absolutely love it I remember when um when it first came out I think in 2016 so about a year before it first came out CBBC posted a clip on there because um, I still I'm a child I still follow all the children's kind of media <laughs> channels on Facebook and such and they posted on Halloween 2016 a little sneak peek of the worst which they were like oh what's coming next year look a little sneak peek because it was Halloween and I remember it was like just a three minute clip of Miss Cackle and Miss Hardbroom, the two main teachers of the show, having this conversation about, oh, the future of witchcraft is in decline mm -hmm. and we need to like get stronger witches to come to the school. And then Mildred Hubble comes crashing on, in on a broom <laughs> and knocks their hats off. And um, I remember just watching it and going, oh my gosh, they're making it again. I, I can't wait. And I went through a huge process at that point where I was like, I need to rewatch everything so I watched like the night the 80s movie I rewatched the 90s series I read the books again I became quite the fangirl at that point oh but it was I so exciting it. and I did love how it turned out because it is a brilliant series I think <laughs> it's so sweet and it's so like comforting and you know I don't know if the 90s series ever made it over to the states in a meaningful way like I remember mm -hmm. loving the movie the movie and then finding out like maybe I was in like high school or college like wait there's a there's a series and like I saw like five minutes of it somewhere but it wasn't at the point where there was just that kind of internet or cross-pollination where I couldn't find it anywhere else and then you know I got distracted by something else and for <laughs> But yeah, the the 90s series became like a little bit of a phenomenon in its own right because it 
it was really popular over here um and as i said in europe but then it also like it expanded into this like weird like mixed universe and it has spin-off series oh my god it has so like the the worst witch was the main series with georgina sherrington playing mildred hubble and then when they when they went like a bit older they brought her back and they did another series called weird sister college which was like oh mildred hubble goes to university oh interesting and it was like it was okay it was it was interesting but it wasn't that great it was strange seeing like mildred hubble outside of cackles academy and um she was much more like proficient in that series she was like a really Mm -hmm. well-established witch and she had these like specific talents and she wasn't seen as like the worst anymore so it was kind of weird and um and her and Ethel Hallow become like best friends in that series. So it's like a strange one. But then they did another spin-off series in I think 2005 called The New Worst Witch, which was um, Mildred Hubble's niece or cousin or something like that going to uh, Cackles Academy. So it was just a continuation of Cackles Academy, a new generation of students. And I think she was called Hetty Hubble. And I know that one very well because my partner, when I told him like, oh, I'm obsessed with Worst Witch, we need to rewatch the 90s series. He said he used to watch the new Worst Witch more. So (laughs) I've got the theme tune for the new Worst Witch always stuck in my head because it's really catchy, even though it's just an instrumental music um, mix. But it's it's really that one is really cute. I like that one. The only the only down I have about that one is. Um, they brought back all the cast from the original 90s series mm-hmm. to play like the teachers and things yeah. like that. But they changed the actress who played Miss Hardbroom, who was my favorite character. And I think it was it was um, Kate Duchenne, her, she played the 90s uh, Hardbroom and she was my favorite Hardbroom um, ever. <laughs> but she didn't want to reprise the role because she didn't want to be typecast and she also didn't want the role to feel like a burden. So she got recast and it's just, the the new hard broom is, is fine, but she's not Kate Duchenne. So mm-hmm. it was weird transitioning, especially because it's meant to be the same universe and it's the, still the same Miss Cackle, still the same castle, but it was just weird. But it's, I always find it strange that the 90s worst witch has an expanded universe now. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's fabulous. I just love that it's like kept on going and now it's been revived and hopefully it'll continue going. You tweeted, I think back in like December or whatever time there's no meaning anymore, like how comforting it is. And I think that like, that's one of the attractions of just the whole universe is it's kind of, it's very cozy, but it's also like, I think that the setting it, you know, in the school, you know, around like that, what we would, us Americans would call like middle school into high school, like that time of transition and discovering magic at that time in your life when you're kind of really becoming a person and magical is one of the reasons why this and maybe other similar stories are so, you know, gripping for people and really get their attention, have such staying power. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to me, it's definitely a huge comfort show that I go back to whenever I don't feel very good about myself it's it's a strange one because whenever I'm feeling a little out of it I'll just put on an episode of West Witch whether it's the new series or the old series and it just instantly makes me feel better it is a very comforting show and it it's familiar as well because it is that um that secondary school high school middle school vibe and 
you get taken back it's almost like you're transported back to when you were going through those formative years of like trying to figure out who you were and, um trying to figure out who you want to be in the world and always feeling like you're doing something wrong doing something incorrectly yeah. and I think that's why it's like all the characters are really relatable and it's why I think a lot of uh, shows and movies and books follow a similar pattern nowadays like when it comes to mm -hmm. how the characters especially in like school dramas and such and especially in witchy school dramas it's almost like there's this formula now and the worst witch was a really I don't know really formative for me so I always see it as like the OG I don't know if it was the OG but it was definitely something that I still cling on to and wish I could kind of go back to all the time <laughs> Like I saw some article going around recently about how your brain responds differently to like the music you, you know, loved in middle school and high school and like in your teen years, like when you hear those songs, you're transported back and that's why you'll all, you'll never love music as much as you love the music you loved as a high schooler. And, you know, like even me, the nineties were totally awesome in terms of music. <laughs> But, and so I think that there's TV shows are like that too, like those TV shows that were our comfort shows. You know, our last episode was about gargoyles and like that was a comfort show for me. And like, if I turn that on, I'm like, oh, I'm right back to, you know, watching TV in my, you know, the downstairs den when I was 12 or 13 years old. And there's a sense of safety, even though that was a really time full of big upheaval. I think for everyone was had a lot of upheaval and change at those years, but we found, you know, comfort in those TV shows and music and they're still comforting now. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was just talking to, um, before I came to chat with you on here, I was talking to my partner about, oh, should I mention this thing because it's a bit embarrassing and it's a bit cringy, but I'm going to mention it yeah, anyway because it. it kind of <laughs> matches what we're talking about right now. But I remember um, when, like, like I said earlier, going back to 2016, when I first saw that the new series was coming out and I got really excited and decided to read all the books and watch the old series again. That was a really strange period in my life because I was just coming out as trans at that point. I'd literally just come out. I was at university. I was far away from home and I didn't really have many friends at university either. So it was almost like I'd come out as trans and I was finally coming into myself. And then this new version of this like TV show that meant so much to me as a child was uh, being like made again. And it was like really digging up those emotions of like how I felt as a child when like that was probably when I was watching The Worst Witch at home the last time that I truly felt like I didn't need to act I didn't need to pretend to be something I'm not because I grew up in a household where like my father didn't really approve of my like more feminine ways and he didn't like it when I watched girly things quote unquote so like at a certain age he he banned me from being allowed to watch things like The Worst Witch or like Barbie movies or anything like that okay. and so I always like when I look back at the times when I was allowed to watch those things I was allowed to watch The Worst Witch and such um, I always like have this really strong sense of nostalgia and comfort because it's like the last time I didn't have to hide who I was and I think when I heard that The Worst Witch was coming out in 2017 
I went back to it as a form of kind of almost like therapy. It was like, okay, I, I need to like get back in touch with my like inner child and heal myself. And I always joke about how like when you come out as trans, you almost, no matter what age you come out, whether it's like in your teens or in your twenties or whether you're like in your forties and fifties, when you come out, almost everyone I know has gone through this like little formative phase in their coming out story where they're still trying to find who they are. And it's almost like we go through a little puberty type period where we're still trying to find who we are and navigate the world in a new way. And it's a really interesting period in time because it's almost like you've given yourself permission to really ask yourself, who do you want to be? You know, you're becoming this entirely new person. It's like you're building this new persona for yourself. And although we all know that like you can reinvent yourself at any time in your life, it's almost like you're never given that permission. You're never given that permission by anyone like, oh, you know, you can change who you want to be. You can reinvent yourself. And in that period in my life, I felt like I had that permission because I was in this like in-between phase where I was like, okay, I was this person. This is how everyone used to know me. Now I'm becoming this person. But who is that person? Who is Mara? I don't even know. And I clung to the worst witch. And I remember I got really obsessed with Miss Hardbroom, the character, because she is this like really um, serious, disciplined practitioner of witchcraft. She um, is so like deeply involved into her witchcraft that she sees anyone like taking it not as serious as she does as an insult almost. And she's so devoted to her craft and to her studies and to the teaching of the students that are there. And being both like a witch and in this formative stage where I was like, okay, I, I want to figure out who I want to be. It's almost like I started emulating hard broom. I, I dyed my hair black. I started wearing my hair up in this like tall bun. I started wearing black velvet dresses everywhere I oh, went. Lovely. And it was like, I started emulating her because I saw her as this like really intense archetype of what a witch could be if a witch was like fully disciplined and devoted to her practice and I remember back then I told myself that's what I want to be I want to be like Miss Hardbroom I want to teach witchcraft I want to make witchcraft my entire career and now I've done it and it's Yay! strange and I wouldn't say I'm like Hardbroom anymore because um, I'd like to think I'm not as mean I think I'm if, if anything I'm more like Miss Cackle <laughs> I was gonna say you feel like more of holds... a cackle than a Hardbroom but yeah I've got cackle vibes now but it's like I think she was really important in my formulation of like who I wanted to be as I moved forward in life and it was so much fun doing that and I think that's why one of the reasons that Worst Witch is so important to me personally is because it was there for me when I was going through that exploration of who am I and who do I want to be. <laughs> you know and that's a character who's so sure of herself and finds such mm -hmm. power in her sense of self like she does you know she's in a way she's a great contrast to Mildred who's this character who is finding herself and she's the kind of person that Mildred needs in her life to kind of you know help her yeah. be her best self and that's sort of that's what all these shows are about or moot books are back is finding out who we are and you know I always related to like Mildred because I was the, the weirdo in school and you know but they're all you know that's a great thing about art there's so many different characters that express so many different parts of the what we're going through and at different parts in our lives we can resonate with different ones you know some days you're a hard broom some days you're a cackle some days you're mildred 
And it's a beautiful thing about art is it can console us at all those days. Absolutely. Oh gosh, I just love uh, it so much. <laughs> do you think that the worst witch has like influenced your actual magical practice at all? Oh, definitely. You know? <laughs> um, I I can see it, this will sound really strange, but I I can see the worst witch a lot in my aesthetic. So like when when I craft like my working space, when I decorate my living room, or when I build like an altar space or something that is in my room. I noticed that I make it look very much like something off the set of The Worst Witch. And that's like, so like, it's not a conscious thing that I do. It's not something that I go in choosing, like, oh, I'm going to make my altar look like something out of The Worst Witch. It's just, I will go and redecorate and then I'll look at it or take a picture of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've I've built like The Worst Witch oh my set. God. <laughs> I'm just realizing now I'm like, oh my God, all my altars look like something out of the craft. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yep, yep. It's there those formative movies. It's like, it just establishes Absolutely. what we just, that's what, that's what looked cool when we were teenagers <laughs> and it's still cool now. God damn it. <laughs> There's this um, scene in one of the episodes of the first series of the 90s show. And this clip has been put up on YouTube. So it's if if you search like Miss Hardbroom makes a potion or something like that okay. on YouTube, it'll come up with like, there's this clip of Miss Hardbroom teaching the class um, about a certain potion. And she's got this huge cast iron cauldron and she's like mixing all the ingredients and she's not saying anything. She's just looking at the girls like, you know, you should know what I'm doing. You should know how to do this. And she's mixing everything up. And it looks so one of the things I love about the 90s series was it wasn't very big on CGI or graphics or anything because it wasn't really a thing back then. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like it's really subtle. She's just literally throwing things into the cauldron and there's a little bit of smoke coming out of it. And then there's this bit right at the end where she throws this powder into it and the entire cauldron blows up into sparks and the students all like gasp like, oh, my gosh. And then she just like after the big blast and everyone's in gasps, she just stares at them and goes, quiet. <laughs> and then um, she starts telling them how to do the potion themselves. And um, I remember like back in like 2014, 15, 16, I watched that clip on YouTube over and over and over again. And now I look back and I'm like, I'm obsessed with cauldrons. And I think maybe that played a role in that because I, I literally, I'm looking around my living room right now and I have, I think, a collection of about 26 cauldrons in total. Wow. All of different sizes and shapes. And I just, it's one of the first things when when I watched the 2016 series, 17 series with Bella Ramsey, I instantly was like, okay, what do the cauldrons look like? And I remember being a little bit disappointed because they look like fish bowls that have been painted gold. Oh, <laughs> but but then they also have like little room cauldrons as well which look like little cast iron cauldrons and I don't know I think um being Welsh as well like as cauldron a Welsh is quite witch, important yeah Welsh mythology cauldron is cauldron of knowledge. yeah <laughs> so it's like I took that I think that's probably why I was so obsessed with Hardbroom as well because she was this like big important like potions mistress and she had like a big cauldron at her desk that was always bubbling and brewing and she reminded me of that like Kerry Twen vibe where like she was always in charge of the classroom and the potions going on and now I look around and I'm like definitely that has inspired my practice because I love cauldrons they're one of the most important tools of my craft and I like to when people ask me like why are cauldrons so important to you I like to always um kind of 
go on and on about, oh, the importance of them in Welsh lore and myth and the symbolism of them. But if I'm being really honest, I think the worst witch also played a role in that. And I'm not, I don't even think that's cringy. I think it's just, yeah, it it played a role because I loved it. And I remember um, back in 2017, like I said, when I got obsessed with Hardbroom, I started making these fun little videos for, I had a little Facebook group that um, was part of my university where we, it was like the pagans and witches society of my university. And I used to post videos in there of how to make certain like oils and liquids and salves and balms. And I would always do it in the style of Hardbroom. I would like make myself up to look a little bit like Hardbroom and I I'd have my cauldron in the kitchen brewing behind me as I made these salves and taught people how to make them. (laughs) So it's it's definitely inspired my practice, I think. (laughs) I I love that. I also love, you know, thinking about how you you mentioned that the author was inspired by her mother saying they were like the three witches out of Macbeth. And there's so much in this, I can can kind of see like the Macbeth DNA, you know, all like the, um, well, in Macbeth, you know, all those ingredients you're putting in the cauldron are herbs with folk names, but that idea of like all the kind of funny, weird ingredients that they will always gather like pond scum or whatever. It's, <laughs> it seems to be like really influenced, you know, the potion ingredients that you see in this and other witchy things were like, oh, what's the weird gross thing we can put in there? <laughs> oh, definitely. I think the, the BBC series, um, or the Netflix series, uh, it's 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 a weird one. I always call it the BBC series because it plays on BBC here, but it was made in conjunction with BBC, ZDF and Netflix. So it depends on where you are in the world. But the BBC Netflix series, um, I think really leaned into that Shakespearean vibe, which I really love because it does play homage to like what Joe Murphy had in mind. And you can see like in the way that they, not only when they're making the potions are the ingredients, things like, you know, um, pondweed gathered at midnight, or um, I think there's bees brains and things like that that they use in it. Not only is it that, but they also like, they put them in, in a rhyme, just like the, you know, like ton of wolf, whatever it is in Shakespeare. Um, When they start reciting, it's just so Shakespearean in nature. And I think that's just so the vibe of 2017 West Witch. It's that like Shakespearean kind of high theatre, theatrical witchcraft. And I love it. The older series was more kind of, like I said, a bit more subtle in their magic, but you could see that they were influenced by folklore a lot because there was um, a lot of reference to like how you have to gather certain herbs at certain times of the day. And there was a whole episode where they go out and they have to pick the, the herbs at sunrise or else it doesn't have the potency that they need. And Mildred obviously sleeps in and doesn't make it in time to gather oh, yeah. the herbs. And that whole episode was strange because it was all about like, oh, could we do digital witchcraft? And then they end up going back to their just normal herb picking by the end of the episode. But you can tell with that one, it was a mixture of kind of this Shakespearean theatrical vibe with a little bit of real folklore, because I remember going through some of the herbs that they used in that a few years back, and they are actual like names that we used for herbs in history. And the lore surrounding it, I was really shocked because um, if you read like a book like Wart Cunning or something, or one of the like Cunningham books of herbs and magical yeah. like plants, a lot of the lore in the series matches the lore that we use nowadays in modern witchcraft. So it always made me wonder if maybe some of the creators had like bought like Cunningham's book of herbs. I feel, yeah. 
I mean, I think I think anyone who has ever been vaguely witchy has to own Scott Cunningham. Like that's like, I mean, that's if, of all the my witchy books, that's the one I've used the most over and over again. It's so beat up. It's it's such a great book. <laughs> Still good. And going to that as well, the 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 inclusion of like almost real world lore and um, folklore and magic. Um, I remember like going. The, one of the formative things that I remember about the old series was there was one character in particular in the third series who always had tarot cards. She would always be sat. It was one of the teachers. And I think in the old series, Miss Bat at some point leaves and goes to like Tibet or something to mm-hmm. study like Tibet chanting or whatever. And because um, the actress who played Miss Bat was quite a big British actress so it wasn't really a shock when she left but they brought in a new character to play the like chanting mistress the the choir basically teacher and she was very occult she was like she'd be sat at the teacher's desk in the teacher's room um playing with her tarot cards and they'd always like zoom in on the tarot cards and it would be relevant to whatever was happening in the episode oh nice and now I look back at it and I'm like oh my gosh that probably played a role in changing the way I viewed like the occult and magic growing up change the things that come to you (laughs) and so like let's talk about the influence of the worst witch on other witchy things (laughs) (laughs) so so you mentioned that this was a catholic school okay I, I, you know, went to school in America. So not all British schools are like boarding schools. <laughs> I'm just under the impression that every British school has like a boarding school with one very mean teacher that hates this one specific student. <laughs> oh gosh. You all go to school in the castle, obviously. Like, Oh, definitely. <laughs> I do joke, but the, um, not my secondary school. My secondary school looked like a jail, but my primary school was actually quite, castle looking it was this old building that had been stood there since I think the 1700s and it was right next door to a 14th century church um, in the middle of my little village Um, and I mean we do have you you can see a lot of the British kind of nature in the worst witch because we we do have uniforms in most of our Mm -hmm. schools nowadays even the public schools we all have uniforms my secondary school uniform was a red button-up shirt with a um, stripy red and navy tie and a navy blue wool jumper. And then you had to wear black trousers. And my school was so strict that you weren't even allowed to wear different colored socks. If you were wearing like white socks or like colored socks in any way, you would get like um, what we'd call a corsp in um, Welsh. I can't remember what that's called, like a discipline, I guess, which is like a disciplinary action where you'd have to like send home a letter signed by your parents to say oh like, I promise that I won't wear coloured socks to school again. Oh my that's goodness. How, like, strict our uniform was. And we had to wear that big wool jumper. I mean, it's Britain, so it's not like it's um, really warm through but the sometimes, whole... Sometimes, sometimes it'll be... There's, there's some like oh, periodically, like it still sounds... And we had um, we had a headmistress who, gosh, I was about to name drop her. I shouldn't do that probably, but we had a headmistress who was very hard broom in nature. She was very strict and stern. And I remember once she came into assembly and she stood in front of us all because we do. I don't know if this is a thing in American schools as well, but we have these assemblies in the morning where we all gather together and we stand. You're not well. In my school, we weren't allowed to sit. We all stand in the hall, the great hall kind of thing, and we listen to the 
teachers make like the announcements for the day and sometimes there would be like a reading from a book or something or there'd be like a little theater theater show at the beginning of the morning and I remember one morning like I think we'd all written a letter or something in complaint saying like it's too warm we shouldn't be wearing these wool jumpers it's ridiculous please can we have permission to take them off at school and she walked up to the um to the little like pew that she had and she looked at us and she went I'm going to be kind to you. You can take your jumpers off when you're in class. But the moment you leave class, you have so to when put you're them outside on. To, in the... <laughs> you have to put them on to walk in the corridors or to go outside because we have to keep the image of the school. And so I suppose in some ways the worst witch wasn't that far off from our school experience. But it was definitely, um, I can see the, I mean, I'm not that experienced in what Catholic schools are like, but I did have um, one nearby when I first moved to this new city that I'm in. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Cackles Academy. It looks like Cackles Academy. It literally has this like tower spiraling out. It looks like a castle. I think it's an old convent that's been um, converted into a school. They don't really have nuns anymore, but they do have like really, I don't know, proper looking teachers compared to what we had. But yeah, it's, it's, you can see the influence there that Jill Murphy had. And I remember one of my favorite little things that she said was that, she based the, the two main teachers, so Miss Cackle and Miss Hardbroom, the head and the deputy head. She based them on the actual head and deputy head of her school, but she swapped them. So she had this tall, thin, really kind and sweet teacher. And she had this short, dumpy, little like mean teacher who was always like on their case. Mm-hmm. And she just swapped their personalities because she thought it matched better for the book. Like have this sharp, tall, thin looking person who was sharp in nature and then have this like rounded cuddly person who was very cuddly and sweet and we all I think we all have those kind of teachers the one teacher who's always like seems to be on your tail and then the other one who's just caring and giving (laughs) yeah I'm like thinking like my high school like algebra teacher was you know Miss Cackle and she was so nice and then I had this you know I was a choir nerd but the choir teacher was like very not my fan because she was very Christian (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so like I'm like this like loudly pagan high schooler <laughs> and so um yeah the choir teacher was sort of my nemesis a little in those and but sometimes she was like supportive of me when I was you know a good singing well and so it was a very complicated relationship but we all have those like teachers that are sort of seem to be out for us especially when you're like the weird kid <laughs> definitely we've all had that hard broom Mildred relationship with someone <laughs> yeah but you know I always, I look, I look at this and I'm like, well, I can see how those archetypes like directly, you know, no one talks about how Rowling was probably so directly influenced by this, but I'm like, oh, look, it's Dumbledore and Snape. (laughs) Oh, definitely. You know, there's so much here, you know, everyone was so entranced, you know, especially Americans were so entranced by the Potterverse because like, oh, it's this magical school and it's just such a you know I think we're, I think all Americans are entranced by the idea of like British boarding schools and just British schools in general because it's such a strange concept to most of us like oh you could you get to go away from your parents <laughs> and the, you live in like a dorm when you're 12 and that sounds cool like what could possibly go wrong <laughs> but like especially also like that kind of the very Halloweeny witch aesthetic of 
Harry Potter seems also directly lifted from all the worst witch books and shows. And so I think we like, let's just throw all this shade on Rowling because it wasn't this world. She gets so much credit for developing in such a creative way. It's like, well, you were really influenced by another media, you know, world there. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, one of my biggest gripes always is whenever I kind of lament and like talk about how much I love the worst witch I almost undoubtedly come across someone who's like yeah but it's just a copy of Harry Potter and it's really funny to me it's really funny to me that people think that considering it was you know the 70s the 80s that like these books and uh, the movies and such first came out and Harry Potter didn't come until like way later so it's it's always really frustrating to me and I don't really get on my high horse too much about like oh she copied the worst witch because I don't want to anger the Hogwarts manics but um I definitely get sometimes a bit like envious of just how big Hogwarts became and how big like Harry Potter became and I think the one difference between like the 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 universe that J.K. Rowling created and Jill Murphy created is that Jill Murphy made it predominantly as a kind of just entertaining bedtime story that yeah. had life lessons interwoven into it that just happened to be set in a witch's school and based on these witches that were learning to be not only people but witches and you don't have as much of like a really deep lore like I was reading um just before coming onto this podcast I I was um looking up like what is the difference between the magic styles in the different versions of the adaptations that were made for film and TV? Because uh, I love doing that. I love looking at how mm-hmm. magic is represented in TV and movie. And I was like looking at how in the modern series, it's all very Shakespearean. They use rhyme, they use rhythm, and it's all very English in nature. In the 90s series, it's all pig Latin. So it's all um you know, Elios Alios and all this stuff, yeah. like transfrogamorphous Elios Alios Redux Reduccio. And they use this pig Latin to cut, to like conjure the magic up. Um, but in essence, like it's almost as though there's not enough to go off of because I went back into the books and I was like, okay, how, so they did that in the Netflix series and they did this in the ITV series. So what's the core material? Like what did the magic look like in the books? And it, it's non-existent almost. It's like um, there's this whole scene in the first book where Mildred gets taunted by Ethel Hallow, her rival, the basically the Draco Malfoy. Yeah, Draco, she's Draco Malfoy, yeah. He's <laughs> and, also um, blonde, right? Like, it's like Yeah, she's she's rich, she's blonde, she's like a sucker. Snooty, yeah. She's snooty and it's like literally it's as if you took Draco Malfoy, made him a girl, and that's Ethel Hallow. <laughs> so it's it's really strange. But um, she's like taunting Mildred and saying like how awful she is and all this. And Mildred says something like, oh, you should shut up or I'll turn you into a frog. And Ethel turns around and goes, make, do it then. I I dare you. Like you couldn't, you wouldn't even know what to do. You're like the worst witch in this school. You wouldn't know how to do that. And in the shows, there's this big spectacle of how they do that, of how she turns Ethel into supposedly a frog but she ends up turning her into a pig <laughs> there's this big like spell work oh yeah in the I books this part, yeah. <laughs> yeah in the books it's literally just Mildred casts the spell 
and that's it. There's no like chant. There's no kind of way that they they do it. So it's obvious that the TV adaptations had to take liberties. And it's obvious that that wasn't Jill Murphy's intention. She wasn't trying to build this huge world of magic. She was just trying to talk about really real world lessons that a lot of children were going through. And she just popped it in a magical setting to make it more interesting. But um, I think that's where like Jill Murphy and J.K. Rowling go different directions. It's that J.K. Rowling really went into this huge world building, which I always kind of, I don't know if this is me just being salty because I don't feel like I can enjoy Harry Potter as much anymore but um, I always say to people like it's not like any of that is really that um, unique either because a lot of what she pulled on was British and Irish folklore and Mm -hmm. a lot of the like you know I'm always shocked by the amount of people who don't know that things like mandrake are real plants and that hippogriffs are real magical creatures that exist in history Uh, real magical creatures that sounds strange but you know what I mean I mean there's there's other you know, like there's, there's definitely things she made up, but a lot of it was inspired by real folklore and the, I mean, all the, a lot of the aesthetics were inspired by real places and which, and then that's what authors do. They get inspiration. Like, you know, nothing comes out of a vacuum and to Rowling's credit, I think what she did with the Potter books that really, t- you know, connected with people was the fact they did tell this bigger interconnected story and the story in the books matured as the characters matured. Like, they, you know, it's a very kind of fluffy-ish. I mean, his parents died. So, like, well, again, in every Disney movie, every parent is dead. So it's, <laughs> it's very, like, kind of Disney sort of story at the beginning. And then it kind of it gets a lot more mature and darker. And I think that's what people, because the books grew up with them as they read them, too. Yeah, and whereas... with something like Voice, which kind of just sort of stays. And that's why it's comforting, because it sort of stays the yeah. same. <laughs> It's not serialized. I was was looking through the books um, the other day and I was thinking like you you wouldn't be able to tell that they're aging even in these books like looking at the covers reading what the story is about you wouldn't really be able to tell that they're aging in the same way that in like Harry Potter they do it's like it gets darker and edgier and more grown up as the series goes on and I think that's why the worst witch didn't really click as mm-hmm. as much as Harry Potter did but it has a lot of the same core elements that idea yeah. of going to a school for witches um, of learning magic and then a lot of the I think what always strikes me is the comparison between the characters it's like that I think there was an interview that Jill Murphy did where she said that she doesn't envy um, J.K. Rowling for building this like huge world and she's really happy that she did it but she wishes sometimes that she would just come out and say, you know, like, yes, I was inspired a little bit by The Worst Witch. I yeah. was inspired by Jill Murphy's writings because she would have been growing up in the period when the book sort of first yeah, came out. So it's almost undeniable that she probably had some influence from it, especially when you look at the fact that it's a group of three kids. One of them is a smart know-it-all. One of them is a troublesome student who comes from a strange, like, poor background. And one of them is this misfit who doesn't quite fit in and yet also ends up saving the world all the time. It's like those three characters in the core, like, main premise, The I, I can see Enid and Maud and Mildred in Harry, Ron and Hermione so yeah. easily. And then with the teachers, you can yeah. easily see, like, Dumbledore and Snape in cackle and hard broom especially the fact that 
Hardbroom and Snape, I think, are the easiest to look yeah, at. Yeah, because they both teach potions. Like, <laughs> yeah, they both teach potions. They're both really tall, thin, lanky, wear dark black, hair. Like... Wear black all the time. It's like they both have that really sharp, um, serious tone to them. And then Miss Cackle and Dumbledore, you can kind of see the resemblance there where they're these like sweet and innocent kind of characters who are really powerful and really intense, really. But I always see there's always like a little bit of um, Minerva McGonagall in Miss Hard- in Miss Cackle as well, because mm-hmm. one of my favourite scenes from, um, I think it's the second Worst Witch book that came out in the 80s, is there's this scene where um, Mildred mucks up a potion. She does it really badly. She was meant to make a laughter potion, but she ends up making an invisibility potion. And in the books, Miss Hardbroom sends her to Miss Cackle's office. And um, in that scene, like she gets sent to Miss Cackle's office and she sits down with Miss Cackle and she's expecting this huge scolding. And Miss Cackle just turns around and goes, I'm a little disappointed in you, Mildred. And she's actually really kind. And then she goes off and she talks to Enid and Maud and they're both like, oh my gosh, did she shout at you? Was it awful? And Mildred is like, worse, she was kind. And it reminds me so much of, I think it's in, um, oh gosh, is it Half-Blood Prince or is it Order of the Phoenix? Is it the one where like Harry kind of is going in, like he gets sent by Umbridge to McGonagall and like he gives him a cookie, have a biscuit. Yes. It's like that, those two scenes had such similar vibes to me in my mind. It was like the same idea of like this, this grumpy teacher sending you to um, someone to be disciplined, but then them just being really kind to you and really considerate. I just, I wondered sometimes if maybe that scene was inspired by it or anything, but I don't know. Maybe it's just a coincidence. (laughs) I think it's, I'm sure, I do wish, you know, Maybe J.K. Rowling could take a break from saying just like awful things and make everyone hate her even more. Maybe just say, hey, I was influenced by. Yeah, I mean, I was I was quite sad when um, when Jill Murphy passed away. I was expecting J.K. Rowling to say something and she just didn't. And it was like, oh, like you're you're basically like I see them as like colleagues. And if it wasn't for J.K. Rowling's like. horrid comments and such and beliefs then I would definitely see them both as really like interesting British examples of like witch media and they are like different but similar and you know there's an audience there for both of them and I feel like they could easily uh, be talked about by both authors and it's like I said Jill Murphy never said a bad word about J.K. Rowling she literally just said I wish she would admit that maybe she was inspired by me a little but um no, there was absolutely nothing when you you <laughs> could see did. these two like Hogwarts and Cackles Academy like coexisting. Like you could definitely yeah. have like a crossover. Like I'm sure there's all sorts of fanfic out there. And definitely. But, yeah, it's it's that's that's just unfortunate that she continues to be terrible in another way. I think yeah. another you know influence that doesn't get mentioned in Harry Potter is like um Roald Dahl. It just seems like such a like. Harry Potter is basically a, he's a Roald Dahl character. He's Matilda. I think he's <laughs> he's all those characters. And Roald Dahl also was a horrible person. So I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, there's a link there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the, the character that I was thinking of that Mildred and these books remind me of in terms of like these comforting childhood books was have you ever heard of the Ramona books by Beverly Cleary? 
No. <laughs> okay, so they're they're very popular in the states, and she started writing them in like the '60s or the '70s, and they just follow this. Like the first one's called Ramona the Pest, and she's just sort of this sort of kind of annoying little sister, and she just they're just about her timing, you know, first through fifth grade, and her mom having a baby and her sister, you know, going on her first date. And they're just really these comforting books. And there's, you know, I still read them to my daughter and they were written by an author who lived here in Portland. I lived near Portland, Oregon. And so they're set in Portland, Oregon. And so when I was reading them as a kid, it's like, oh, they're talking about Mount Hood and I can go to (laughs) Clickitat Street. And it was, but they were the same thing where they weren't about big issues. They weren't about, you know, saving the world. They were just about growing up Mm. and, you know, the fun and pitfalls of being a little kid (laughs) (laughs) definitely I do wonder sometimes um going off what you just said about how like a lot of these books were based in areas that you knew of in real life I wonder sometimes if that was the draw of things like Worst Witch and Harry Potter for people here in the UK because like when we read Harry Potter and they talk about like London a lot of us we know those places quite well but then for me personally the Worst Witch I I remember in the 90s series it was filmed the castle scenes where they show like the school itself and the iconic kind of like onwards ever striding onwards like theme tune that they had um where they show like the castle turrets and such that castle is um a castle called Castech Koch which is in South Wales which I knew of because I lived in Wales and um I remember going on like a school trip and passing that castle on the bus and being like oh my gosh it's Castles <gasps> Academy it's like Jump it's off, the Castles Academy <laughs> and like even now the the Netflix series the 2017 newest series the castle the when they film from like far away and they show the entire castle that castle's in Germany that's like whole holes and I'm gonna right. butcher it I'm, if I I'm say like, it I'm like I, I swear I've seen that castle but I remember <laughs> seeing it in Germany so yes. now, now, I, now I don't feel right as yeah it's this like beautiful castle that's on a mountain in Germany yeah but when they do the close-up shots when they actually film the cast at the castle like on the grounds in the courtyard Mm -hmm. and such that's all filmed in a castle here in Cheshire so since um 2018 I've moved to Cheshire and that castle is literally 20 minutes down the road from (laughs) me and I used to pass like on when I used to go to university on the bus I used to pass signs that pointed towards the castle and I still haven't visited it because it's not really a castle that you go and visit it's not a like visitor center type castle it's more just a hotel and like wedding venue type place and I really want to go there just to just to say like I've been to Cackles Academy Uh, (laughs) yeah I just have to take like a tangent here like how jealous I am as an American like (laughs) like, there's a castle down the street like the oldest building in my town is like from 1964 like this is that's why I love the you know Europe because this is so much cool old stuff you know you have you know history that you can touch and that people can experience firsthand and I mean I I think we forget it sometimes um when I was doing like when I was talking to um another podcast at one point they asked me because I do like these videos on TikTok about Welsh witchcraft and magic and things and they were asking me like oh where do you go what is that place is it like a special place that you go to film and I was like that's just my town that's just the place I live (laughs) it's just it's not any kind of magical location and I know why they were asking it's because my videos look like they they are filmed in like castle grounds or in like these rural kind of rustic locations that look like they're frozen in time but that's just the city I live in it's like literally 
right next door to me, there's a 14th century Tudor house just down the street that way. There's a castle across the road. There's a church with a clock tower. And then behind that, there's a cathedral that dates back to the 1700s. So many ruins and temples. And there's even a shrine to the goddess Minerva on the river. And we forget that sometimes. And I think it is one of the things I, I love about watching shows like The Worst Witch and seeing like movies like Harry Potter. It's like seeing these familiar locations. And I, I, I suppose to like maybe an American audience, that's like so high fantasy and yeah. like out of the ordinary. But to us, that's just normal. I mean, growing up in Wales, especially because we're the country with like the most castles per square mile in the world. Uh, literally, I couldn't travel from, say, my village at home to the college that I went to when I was 16 mm-hmm. without passing about four castles on the way. <laughs> so it's it's strange. And I think it's part of, for me, the familiarity of like Cackles Academy. It's this whole castle vibe of the school, because even if we didn't go to a school in a castle, a lot of our schools are so mm-hmm. old and in that Gothic architecture style that it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I assume like every where it's haunted just oh definitely (laughs) yeah definitely um um, so speaking of whales and also speaking of you know the fact that there's we've established now the cackles academy is in wales can we talk about another book talk about your book that's coming is it it's out right now or it's going to be out like any minute now welsh witchcraft witchcraft. oh gosh if we must but um uh it came out yesterday in the US which is really strange Happy like it's, yeah it's a surreal moment I remember like um I asked my partner yesterday oh what's the date and he was like it's the day and I was just asking him because I had a parcel that was meant to be coming like a package that was meant to be coming and I was looking like is it here yet and then he I just stared at him like what do you mean it's the day it's like it's your book birthday and I was like oh yeah I did that I wrote a book (laughs) but yeah Welsh witchcraft it's it's out now in the US and it's coming out in the UK and um, Europe and most of the international places in a couple weeks as well so around March 1st it's it's I don't know it's surreal to me I can't believe that it's actually come into like it's manifested into reality now because this book has been something I've been working on since 2020 and now finally two years later it's Uh, here it's like I'm literally I'm looking because I have it in front of me it's such a pretty cover I'm really excited to get it I don't have it yet I'm really excited to get it and you know because I feel like Wales is sort of you know we have a lot of you know UK heritage and a lot of this emphasis in our culture and uh, but like I feel like Wales kind of gets the short drift like it's like all Ireland and Scotland and I think it may be because we are intimidated by the Welsh language might be yes there's a lot of um it's like people say to to non-Welsh speakers the language just looks like it has no vowels which is something we get tired of hearing but I mean looking at it from and like if I tried to look at it from an English speaker's lens I can see how intimidating it might look it's like well I'm like okay that that's that sure is a word there <laughs> it's a lot of whys <laughs> lots of whys lots of c's and l's and lots mm. yeah um and then lots of like definitely I mean my entire like premise of wanting to write this book was literally as you just said because Wales often gets the short stick it's like it's almost like um everything that you every time I bought a book that was like Celtic paganism or Celtic magic it was almost always Irish and mm. I I just I wanted something that would really explore the magic of the landscape that I grew up in 
and the magic of the culture that I grew up in really because the language itself is and that's something I talk about in the book is that how like the language itself is inherently magical because it has a history in like a bardic tradition yeah. uh, in like magical forms of ritualistic poetry which words really are magic in the, in absolutely <laughs> and I just I, I really wanted to share that with the world and it was really important for me because um I wanted a book like this for so long when I was a teenager when I used to sit there and watch The Worst Witch I used to be like oh I need a book that can teach me how to do this but in the context of my culture and there wasn't something for teenagers that are looking for that or for people who are searching for a connection with their culture and heritage and that was my goal and I hopefully hopefully people will enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so excited to read it because I have Welsh ancestry and I've got me all that UK ancestry, but I, and I really would love to go visit Wales and listen to Welsh people speak the language. <laughs> I won't try. Just like, I, I, you know, just hearing you say like, carried when like, oh, I've been pronouncing it wrong for 37 years. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to like, because not only, I mean, I'm sure it's well known that even though our language is like really important to our culture, it has been like stamped out for so long oh, yeah. and has been suppressed. We're quite lucky in one regard because there's a lot more Welsh speakers than there are say Irish or Scots Gaelic speakers. Um, I think there's nearly a million speakers worldwide now of the Welsh language and we're just building and building and it's getting more and more every year. So it's great that it's resurging, but our language has been suppressed for so long that one of the core tenets I really wanted to talk about in the book was the language. And it's a really like near and dear topic to my heart because not only did I grow up in Wales, but I grew up in a Welsh speaking community. I did my entire schooling through the medium of the Welsh language um, and it's my first native language. So it, it's a privilege really that I have that not many people have. And it was something that I didn't realize growing up was a privilege. I remember feeling like the Welsh language was a bit of a burden because it was like so pushed in school. Like, oh, it wasn't even just that we had to speak Welsh in lessons. Sometimes you'd get told off by the teachers if you were speaking English in the corridors with like your friends. And back then it was like so annoying to us, but now I know why it was so important to the teachers mm. and to the people who used to get mad at us. My mum and dad used to be like, um, if I came home from school, because I did have a group of friends who um, were predominantly English speakers. And if I came home from school after hanging out with them and I'd like come sit down in the kitchen and start speaking English to my mum and dad, they'd look at me as if I'd just bitten their head off and they'd be like, we don't know that foreign language speak to us in our <laughs> in our language um they'd say that to us in welsh and so like to me growing up i almost rebelled against it and tried to like get it out of my system and i tried to like get rid of my welsh accent and everything and i had this almost shame for being welsh but now I, I look back and I'm like, I'm so glad they did that. And I'm so glad that I went through a schooling system throughout Welsh, because now I get to read these really old, fascinating, like folklore books that talk about folk magical traditions and the traditions of magic that stem from Wales that a lot of people don't have access to because they don't speak Welsh. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book was to try and make those things more accessible to people who maybe are still learning or, I mean, even I, like I'm, I'm a native Welsh speaker. It's my first 
language. And even I, sometimes when I read those old Welsh books, I struggle. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like really formal language. So it was just my way of trying to make it more accessible and trying to make it more approachable for people, because I feel like I couldn't find a lot of information when I was growing up. And now I hope people can find it a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, that, that's wonderful. And just, I, you know, when I think about whales, you talked about all the castles and like how there's, you know, we can't throw a rock without any castle, but part of that is also a legacy of this. Like there are a bunch of castles built by the English who are basically conquering whales. Like they were, they were, you know, part of their relics of in some ways of a very oppressive path yeah definitely and, um, uh, you know yes so I grew up in the north of Wales and um the area that I grew up in was um at one point in history and it's still called today because they all are still there was known as the ring of iron and it's yeah. this area where in a whole circle around the whole of north Wales there's just non-stop castle after castle after castle after castle that were built by the English invaders at one point because the Welsh just would not give up. They would not shut up and like subdue themselves to the English. And so the English thought, okay, the only way we're going to stop them is by literally filling their towns with English people, with English soldiers and suppressing them as much as possible until they give up. And um, there's like, I go to these places, like the one, I think one of the nearest castles to me is probably Flint right now, but there's also another one, which I love called Castell Conway, the Conway Castle, which um, as beautiful as it is, and as much as I love being there and exploring the town and the history, I'm always reminded that, so the, the city itself, the city, the town, it's like a small, very small town. The town itself is within castle walls. And to a lot of people, it's so fantastical, it's so like magical to go into that. But historically speaking, Welsh people weren't even allowed to live within the castle walls. Yeah. They were pushed to the outskirts and it was English aristocrats and English soldiers that were put to live in the castles themselves within the walls. And so when you go to places like Conway, as beautiful and as magical as it looks to see a castle on the sea and how like majestic it looks. And it's, I think, one of the best quality castles um, because it's still standing quite beautifully. Um, you still have to remember like why they were put there and I think a lot yeah. of people always um, have to be reminded that like it's almost like what the English did to us was the blueprint of colonization that they took them to the rest did, of the world did, and well they did like, to they, Scotland and they did Ireland they did yeah. the world. Like, <laughs> they yeah. practiced on us and then took it <laughs> elsewhere and like and you think about you know the most famous Welsh mythology is King Arthur and that's like a story about resisting an invasion from the east like at its core so yeah well I'm very excited for this book it was wonderful to have you on talk about the worst witch it's been wonderful everyone go buy Welsh with craft and you also have where can we find you online you have a YouTube channel you have all you're you're all you're all over Gosh, right. yes, I'm all over the place. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. But I also have a Patreon where I teach classes on Welsh witchcraft and magic and folklore and everything every month. Um, but my YouTube channel at the minute, I'm really trying to build my YouTube channel this year and post two videos a month. I'm trying not to put myself too much under pressure, but two videos a month is my goal right now. Um, so yes, if, if anyone's interested in learning about it's all Welsh Mara magic, Sterling it's, it's all Mara Sterling. You have yeah, a wonderful definitely. video about the history of, or the dubious history of corgis as fairy steeds, <laughs> which was my introduction to your YouTube channel, and it's wonderful. So I oh, loved gosh, it. So. 
That Such a fun, fun video to make. <laughs> corgis are fairies. <laughs> yes, my, my corgi was very excited to find this out. So well, thank you so much for coming on and have a wonderful book birthday month and book release. And I wish you all the best for it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank and you. thank you for letting me talk about The Worst Witch, which was Yay. just amazing. <laughs> Yay, thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Magic. As always, if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating, leave a review, make sure you're subscribed, and tweet about it and tell all your friends to listen. We've got a whole back catalog of other episodes, too, that you can listen to that I hope you will enjoy. If you enjoy me and my work, you can find me around uh, on Twitter. I'm still currently fangirling Jess, though. Who knows if that'll stay the same. And you can find my work wherever you Google me. Remember, if you love witchcraft and podcasting, to sign up for That Witch Life mini-con being put on by our friends over at That Witch Life. Just go to thatwitchlife.com. I hope that you have a wonderful Valentine's Day, Lupercalia, whatever you're doing in February, and we will see you again in two weeks for another movie that I think you all will be really excited for. Um, But just to give you a clue, you remind me of the babe. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Bye-bye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all that. Goodbye to all that.